morning. How are we? Everybody all right on a holiday weekend? Yeah? Have you gotten some rest? No rest? Have you gotten some work done? Yeah, have you uh, been working out in your burned up yard? Yeah, I know. It's depressing, but we're going to make it through it. We're going to make it through it. So, you know, to be honest, I feel like I have one of the best jobs in the world. Um, And part of that, one of the things that I love to do is I love to officiate weddings. There's something about that special moment where you get to be a part of this, you know, great start to a young couple's lives. And, and even prior to that is I get to do premarital counseling. And I don't know why they come to me for premarital counseling. It's almost as though I've got it figured out. Um, I don't, um, but I enjoy sitting there and, and, and walking through, you know, life with a, a young couple and trying to help them figure it out. And one of the things that I always tell the guys, I'm like, listen, guys, there's a lot of things you can do. <laughs> there's a lot of things that you can do. And, and this can go well for you and go bad for you. Uh, But there's a lot of things that you can do. And the one thing that I would tell you that you got to do is you got to always date your wife. Maybe you've heard that before. Date your wife. Well, every now and again, I'll take my own advice. (laughs) Not very often, not nearly as often as I probably should. But every now and again, I'll take take my own advice and I will take my wife out for a date. Usually she plans it. It's fine. Um... But I'll take the credit. Um, we'll, we'll go and we'll have a great time. And anytime she lets me pick, um, I always pick Texas Roadhouse. I don't know what it is about Texas Roadhouse, but I like it. I, like te- I think it's the prime rib, to be honest with you. I like a good prime rib. And if we're going to go out on a date, I want to get a prime rib. And I can't cook that at the house, so I might as well go get it. Um, and so I like Texas Roadhouse. But the problem with Texas Roadhouse is that uh, for, for Jordan and I, um, when we get away, that the, 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 the whole point of us getting away is to strengthen our friendship because what I've learned in life is that if, if our friendship is strengthened, then our marriage is strengthened. So if our friendship is strong and we're, we're rocking and rolling there, then, then our marriage is strong as well. And, and so when you go to a place like Texas Roadhouse, the problem with that is, is that you change the distractions and the noise of life for more distractions and the noise of Roadhouse. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? You know, I don't know what it is about that place, but there's no other restaurant that I know of that can be four o'clock on a Tuesday and it's, you've got a line. It's got to wait. And it happens every time. So you get there, you get in line. Then, you know, you get up there, you, you tell them, hey, I, you know, 45 minutes later, they take you to your table. You get to your table and you realize that all the tables are, are just way too close. I'm talking about. And so I can hear the conversations of everybody around me and I'm trying not to eavesdrop, but I'm doing it, (laughs) you know? And, and so there's, it's way too small, way too loud. You got TVs going, you got country music blaring, which is not always a bad thing, but it's blaring. You got somebody's birthday, of course. So you've got that sudden shock of like, (laughs) oh gosh, they're yelling. Why is everybody yelling? You got so many distractions and the problem is, is that all too often that we can go out on a date and we can set this meeting where she and I are going to work on our friendship and yet I completely miss her because I'm so focused on the TV or I'm focused on the crunch of the peanuts at every step (laughs) or the conversation that this person's having or this person's having. And so the whole point of that is, is that It's really hard to grow our friendship when we are distracted by the noise of everything going on around us. 
It's hard to grow a friendship. It's hard to strengthen a friendship when everything around us is, is going on. It's loud, right? Um, you know, I don't know about you, um, but, but for whatever reason, I feel like my life is loud. I feel like with the buzzing of every text message, the dinging of every email, the constant ringing of the phone, you know, when all of that's not happening, my mind cannot slow down long enough to take a deep breath. Am I crazy or are there more people like me out here? Right, where, where you try to get away and you try to embrace the silence, you try to cut the noise out of life, and yet even when you silence the cell phone, you can't silence that thing that's going through your mind and it's constant, right? To the degree where it's just like everything feels so loud, so loud. Well, the question that I want us to work through this morning is, how can we grow a friendship with the Lord? How can we cultivate a life with Him in a world that's so loud? It's so loud with all that's going around, the, the news, the media, social media, all of the major losses in college football yesterday, we're not gonna talk about it. We're gonna meet with the Lord on that this afternoon, it's gonna be fine, right? How, how do we silence the noise so that we can meet with Him? You know, that's, the, that's what we've been talking about in this series is how do we cultivate a life with God, right? Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about if, if we're going to cultivate a life of God, we've got to be focused on Him, right? We've got wind and waves and all the stuff. We've got to be able to keep our, our eyes peeled on Him. Um, we talked about how we do that, right? We get away and, and, and we open up the Bible and we hear from Him, but it's hard to hear from Him when we're distracted with everything that's going on, right? So we've got to figure out how to do that. And then last week, we talked about being present with God. You know, are you a person of presence? Are you present at the dinner table? Are you present with the Lord? Uh, your presence with the Lord overflows into your presence with everybody else, but, but we gotta be present. If we're gonna cultivate a life with God, we gotta be present. And then this week, I wanna talk about how do we silence the noise so that we can do that? How can we silence the noise so that we can go and meet with God and grow our friendship, grow our relationship with Him? And so what we're gonna do, we're gonna look at Exodus chapter 33. If you have a Bible, I hope you do. Uh, go to Exodus 33. We're going to be in verses 7 through uh, 11 this morning. So 7 through 11, Exodus chapter 33. This is the word of the Lord. And Moses, here's what, here's what Moses writes to us. He says, now Moses used to take the tent and pitch it outside of the camp, far off from the camp. And he called it the tent of meeting. And everyone who sought the Lord would go out to the tent of meeting, which was outside the camp. You're going to want to take note of that. Verse 7 is really important for what we're going to talk about this morning. Whenever Moses went out to the tent, all of the people would rise up and each would stand at the, at the tent door and watch Moses until he had gone into the tent. Now, when Moses entered the tent, the pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, all of the people would rise up and they would worship each at his tent door. Thus, the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face. Think about that. Just think on that. The Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, and I love this picture, as a man speaks to his friend. Man, that's, that's great. When Moses turned again to the camp, into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. 
You know, when you read that story, it almost feels like you're reading in the middle of a story. It's like you opened up a book right in the middle of the book. And so you almost kind of miss the whole first chapter because it just kind of opens weird. Like Moses is talking about a tent. What does he mean by a tent? Why is it outside of the people? All of that. Well, you got to know that that God has done a great work in the people of Israel. You may recall that uh, the people of Israel are living in uh, captivity. They're living in slavery in Egypt. They cry out to God. Guess what? God hears their prayers. Um, Anytime you read that, you can always be reminded that no matter what you're facing, God hears you. Um, God hears their prayers, right? God rescues them out of slavery. He takes them into the wilderness and he does that for a really really special purpose. The purpose is, is that Israel would know that more than anything else in the world, they need God. So more than air, more than food, more than clothing, more than shelter, more than rest, God is taking them out of slavery into the wilderness so that they would know that both physically and spiritually, what they need more than anything else on this earth is they need him. They need him. Now, sadly, they didn't learn their lesson I know that's a shocker. Israel didn't learn their lesson, right? They fall into grumbling and complaining. You may recall when Moses is away, you may have heard this phrase, when the cat's away, the mice play. So what does Israel do? Well, they build a golden calf. They get tired of waiting on the Lord. They get tired of waiting on Moses to come back and tell us what he has to say. And so they build a golden calf. Well, unfortunately, the result of that is that God ends up distancing himself from the people. In fact, in chapter 33, verse one, God tells them that they are gonna go up into the promised land. He even says, hey, I'm gonna make a way for you to go into the promised land. But then in verse three, he turns around and says, but I'm not gonna go with you. Yikes, right? I'm gonna make a way for you to go, but I'm not gonna go with you. Here's what he says. He says, I'm not gonna go up with you lest I consume you on the way for you are a stiff necked people. In layman's terms, that means that you are a pain in the rear. You don't listen to me. You don't obey me. You don't follow me. You don't do anything that I tell you to do. And so I am gonna distance myself from you. You're gonna go up, but I am not going to go with you. I'm gonna distance myself from you. So as a result, here's what ends up happening. If the people wanted to meet with God, they now have to go outside of the camp to meet with him. The text says that not only was it outside of the camp that they would have to go meet with God, but it was a long way off, far from the people, right? This is not a convenient encounter, but rather it took sacrifice for them to go out of the camp in order to meet with God. This was a massive change for Israel. So again, in order to have any kind of relationship with God, they'd have to get up, leave their tent and journey outside of the camp in order to meet with him. Now, if you're like me and you're reading this, maybe you're early in the morning, you're reading this story, you're thinking, golly, what an inconvenience. Can you hear the grumbling and complaining? Oh my gosh, I don't have time for this. Who's got time to get up that much earlier to get up, go outside of the camp in order to meet with God? Yeah, I can imagine, God, is there an address to the tent? Can I plug that address into my GPS? Can I get an ETA on that? How long is this gonna take? It's like taking that vacation with your kids, you pull out a temple and they're already saying, are are we there yet? How much longer, dad? But I hear the people of Israel grumbling and complaining, okay, well, if I've gotta go meet with God, well, then how long is it gonna take? What am I gonna have to sacrifice? 
Well, what I want you to see this morning is that if we're going to meet with God, if we're going to silence the noise, we're going to meet with God, then it's going to require an uncommon response from his people. If you and I are going to be serious about making God the priority of our lives, not a priority, but the priority of our lives, then it's going to take an uncommon response from you and me. And really, there's three things that I want you to see this morning uh, that's going to feed out of that truth. It's going to take an uncommon response. The first thing is this. This is what I want you to see. We've got to determine the need. We've got to determine a need for Israel to, to make the sacrifice to go outside of the camp in order to meet with God required a desperate need on their behalf required a desperate need. Nobody gets up and does all of that in order to meet with God if they don't have a need to meet with him. And so I want us to think about this question this morning, and I want you to be honest. I want you to think clearly this is between you and the Lord. It's not between you and your neighbor or you and your spouse or you and your friend. I want you to think about this very clearly. Do you have a need for God? Think about that. Be honest, do you have a need for the Lord in your life? Now, add this to the equation. Does your life, if somebody were to do a 360 perspective of your life, would they look at your life and go, yeah, well, these people, they have a need for the Lord. They are prioritizing the Lord above everything in their life. Would that be said of you? Would it be said of you this morning that, oh yeah, absolutely, they've got a need for the Lord. They have a desperate need for God in their life. You know, the more I was thinking about this in my own journey, in my own life, the more I thought, golly, you know, we live in a, in a world that's kind of a blessing and a curse, you know? You know what I mean by that? I mean, we live in this world where, to be honest, most of us don't have many needs, right? I mean, think about it, right? For the majority of the people in this room, you've got a house to live in, you've got food on the table, clothing on your back. I mean, I, I'm not seeing anybody here that doesn't have clothes on their back, thank the Lord. That would be awkward. Like, like we're doing pretty good. Like most of us have two cars. If we have kids, we can afford to pay for a car for our kids to drive. I mean, we're, we seem to be doing pretty good. I mean, that's the blessing of it all. The blessing is, is that if we're really honest, I mean, we, kinda can, we can kind of figure it out. We can provide for ourselves, right? But here's the curse. The curse of that is, is that we're doing all right. Life seems pretty good. I've got a job. I may not love that job. It may not be the you know, most my favorite thing to do, but I got a job, right? I can put food on the table. I've got a home to go home to. I got a bed to hop in. Right, I, I've got a car to drive. It may not be the car that I want. It might not be rolling in the Cadillac, but man, the 88 Honda seems to work just fine, right? And so we go through life with this idea that I've got it. I don't really have any needs. But all the while, we forget that really we have a desperate need. That every moment, we just sang it, every, more, every moment I need you, Lord. I need you. How does this sit on your, on your heart? When Jesus says that you can do nothing apart from me, how does that, how's that sit on you? Does that sit on you like, oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's true, I know that. And then for those who might say, oh yeah, I know that, 
do you believe that to be true? It's one thing up here to say, oh, I know that, to intellectually say, yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. I know that that's true. It's another thing to believe that with my heart and that my life follows that belief, right? Does, when I say that you can do nothing apart from the Lord, does that, well, well, you don't know who I am. You don't know how much money I got in the bank. You don't know about this kingdom that I've built. You don't know about how successful I am. Does pride spill up? See, again, you know, the beautiful part about living in the home of the free, the land of the brave, is the fact that, man, at the end of the day, we all have opportunities that we can make something of ourselves. I mean, that is beautiful. That is a great thing to celebrate. But the problem is that when we live in that world where we can take care of ourselves, we forget that while we can meet our physical needs, we can completely leave our physical or our spiritual needs behind. And as we talked about a couple of weeks ago, our spiritual and our physical are one and the same. Our physical pours into the spiritual and our spiritual pours into the physical. So if I deplete one, I deplete the other. Now I may be able to run for a while, but at some point it's gonna catch up to us and we'll be exhausted, we'll be burned out, frustrated with life, bitter, complaining, just like Israel. Israel demonstrated this point well. It's only when they needed physical need that they cried out to God. But then when God rescues them from their physical misery, takes them out of slavery into the wilderness, guess what? God provides them meat and what do they end up doing? Or God provides them manna, what do they end up doing? Complaining that it's not meat. It's because they had forgotten what they truly needed. Sure, God took them out of physical pain in order to give them the blessing of spiritual joy, and yet that wasn't enough. It wasn't enough. Rather than living with, in friendship with God, trusting Him to meet their needs, both physically and spiritually, they would rather return to slavery and fend for themselves. How crazy is that? God takes them out of slavery, they become discontent with the Lord, and what do they do? They plead to go back to slavery. Why? Because even in slavery, they felt like, hey, I can figure that out. And in the same way, I think this is all too often true of us. Rather than living in friendship with God, trusting him to meet all of our needs, we would rather live enslaved to our own ability to provide for ourselves. And yet the result of this is rather than experiencing freedom and joy, we experience fear and anxiety. Always looking over our shoulder at what, what's going to drop next. Worried that what we have isn't good enough or someday, somehow we're gonna run out of what we have. When God's invitation for us is to recognize the need that we have for him and then allow that to be the motivator to experience a friendship with him, a true friendship. Now, here's the deal, whether we realize it or not, we have a desperate need for God and that leads us to our second point that our need determines our level of sacrifice in the relationship. In fact, it's gonna measure the capacity for that relationship. Our need determines our level of sacrifice. And so I want you to think about it this morning. If we have a need from God, guess what that's gonna do? It's gonna increase the measure of the sacrifice we're willing to satisfy that need. If we have no need for God, guess what that's gonna do? It's gonna decrease the measure of the sacrifice that I'm willing to have. This is our problem, right? 
If I don't have any need for God, then I'm not going to get up in the morning to go spend time with him. If I don't have any need for God, then I'm going to use the excuse that I don't know how to pray. You know how to talk to your wife, your husband, you know how to talk to a friend, or could it be that we don't have a friendship with the Lord? Right? My need determines the measure of sacrifice that I'm willing to go in order to meet with God. In this story for Israel, to meet with God required a major sacrifice. Right? They had to make time in their daily schedules, their daily routine to meet with God. And since the tent was located not in the tent, but outside of the tent, it required a great deal of sacrifice. You know, uh, in ancient Israel, they didn't have call ahead seating. Right, like they couldn't call ahead and say, hey, God, I'm coming. Uh, just, if you could just, you know, set up, set some time for me, right? God didn't have a divine secretary that you could call or email and say, hey, can I get some time with the Lord before I head that way? It's a long journey, so I want to make sure that I can, you know, get there and I'm going to have a spot in line, right? They didn't have Uber. You know, you couldn't get an Uber app and dial it up and say, hey, can somebody come pick me up and drop me off at the tent of meeting? Like that didn't really happen, right? So what they have to do, they had to get up, they had to get dressed and they had to make the journey out to meet with the Lord. They had to make a sacrifice, an uncommon sacrifice to go to the Lord, to spend time with him, to cultivate a life with him, to grow a relationship with him. Now, this intentional effort to leave comfort behind knowing that they could get there and they could take a number and wait in line. It's like the DMV. You know what I'm talking about? I hate when I have to go to the DMV because I know that, you know, I, I don't know what lies ahead, but I know this, that there's a good chance that it's either going to take me five minutes or three hours. And there's a good chance that I'm going to have to wait in line. There's going to be a grumpy, bunch of grumpy people who are also having to wait in line. I'm going to get up to that window and I'm going to have forgotten something, which means I'm going to have to go back and do it all over again. Right? There's a good chance that when they left their tent and journeyed the journey to the tent of meeting, there's a good chance that they were going to show up, that they were going to have to wait in line, they were going to have to experience the elements, and they didn't know whether it was going to be five minutes, three hours, or all day in order to meet with the Lord. They had to have a desperate need to do that, and their desperate need determined the level of sacrifice that they were willing to have in their life to meet with the Lord. Here's what that does. That means that God has to be the priority in your life. If you're gonna do it, and if you're gonna have a great deal of sacrifice in your life, he can't be a priority. He has to be the priority in your life. If he is not the priority in your life, then there's a good chance that you don't have a need for him. And if you don't have a need for him, you're not gonna sacrifice for him. And so we're gonna continue on doing this whole thing where you start the first of the year saying, I'm gonna do this reading plan and I'm gonna do it all year long. And you make it to Leviticus and you quit. Right, we get to the end of February and it's like, golly, man, I just, I got too much going on. But we all know that we make time for what we prioritize. We make time for what we prioritize, don't we? We make time for that ball game. We make time for that phone call. We make time for the things that we prioritize most in our life. And our level of sacrifice reveals the things that we prioritize the most. That leads us to the third thing. If we're going to meet with the Lord, if we're going to meet with him, 
We're going to sacrifice him. We recognize the need. We're going to sacrifice for him. He's the priority of my life. If I'm going to meet with him, then I've got to silence the noise in my life. If I'm going to hear from him, we talked about this last week. If I'm going to hear with him, from him, I've got to be present. And I've got to be present enough to hear from him, to hear his voice. I've got to open up the word, spend time with him, and I've got to hear from him. And the only way that that happens is if you and I silence the noise around us. And I don't mean silence the noise by this, exchanging noise for noise, right? I don't mean going to Roadhouse. I mean getting away with the Lord and experiencing silence and solitude with Him. If we're going to meet with Him, it's going to require us to get away from the noise, all of the distractions of life, to spend time with Him. Kind of funny story. So back in college, um, I had two electives. I had two electives to graduate. I had two electives left. And to be honest, I was trying to pad my GPA a little bit. I needed an easy A. So you know what I took? I took cinema. If any of you teach cinema at Mary Harden Baylor, forgive me for what I'm about to tell you. Um, but, but I thought, man, this is an easy A. Like the class time is sitting and watching movies. Like you don't get better than that, right? Wrong. That was the wrong assumption. I show up to this class thinking, man, I got my popcorn and my Coke. I'm ready to go. Got about to get this A. Every movie was in a different lang language with no subtitles. <laughs> like, how are you supposed to do that? I mean, really, how in the world do you pass a quiz about a movie that was in a different language and didn't even have subtitles? Well, didn't, that's not even, it, it gets way worse. There was one movie that we watched that had no music. Have you ever watched a movie, a film that has no music in it? It is so painful. I had no idea that when people are talking throughout a movie that there's music behind it. But man, it creates the movie. You take the music out of the movie and it is horrible. The silence is awkward. And so here I am thinking, I'm gonna get this A and truth be told, well, it's the only class I ended up with a C in college, you know? But I'm telling you, the, the struggle was real. I mean, it was hard. It was the hardest class. It beat organic chemistry. I'm telling you, it was tough. I took a C in that thing and I was happy to get out of there. I was happy with the C. But the reality is, is that silence is, silence is awkward. To watch a film, to watch a movie with no music is incredibly awkward. In fact, it's, it's awkward in conversations, isn't it? You know, when you think about silence in that conversation, where you're talking and then all of a sudden it's silent and you don't know how to respond, it's terribly awkward, isn't it? It's awkward in a room this size. If it was just silent in here, it's pretty awkward. We'll, we'll, just, we'll just see. That's weird, isn't it? It's weird. It's like when you're leading a small group or you're leading a Sunday school class, you ask that question and nobody responds and it feels like it's three hours and you're like, don't leave me hanging, right? It's because silence is awkward. In fact, I don't know if you knew this, but this is kind of interesting. But in our country, here's, it takes four seconds of silence before we are rattled, we are rejected, or we're feeling insecure. So four minutes or four seconds of silence, we're already kind of going, this is uncomfortable. Four seconds, isn't that crazy? Four seconds. So bad is it that there is now a phobia called sedate a phobia that is addressing 
Americans in our culture who struggle with silence. There's a phobia, right? So the, this phobia, for, the phobia is, is that, that, that the fear of silence can lead you to the point of anxiety, even to panic attacks. Four seconds of silence, and we're already panicking, we're feeling insecure, we're rattled, we're feeling rejected. Four seconds. And so no wonder it's hard when we go to be with the Lord and we sit in silence that we have to grab for that phone or we doze off, right? It's because silence is hard. And yet, if we're gonna cultivate a friendship with God, we've gotta get away from the silence in order to spend time with him, to hear from him. And so we've gotta be able to embrace the silence in the relationship, to be able to go and to hear from the Lord. Now, here's the deal. When we start talking about getting away from the Lord and sacrifices and needs and silence and all these kind of things, here's what I want to encourage you on because I think this is important. Y'all, we have it really, really good. We have it really, really good. See, for Israel, here's what, here's, here's what a day in the life of an Israelite would look like in the, in, in the wilderness of Israel. So they get up, let's say, okay, they've got a need, right? They've got a need. They're going to go meet with the Lord. They've calendared that into their day. So they head out to meet with the Lord. And let's just say it takes four hours to walk there. Four hours to walk there, to get to the tent of meeting. Four hours, let's just say. They get to that tent of meeting. They get there and all of a sudden they realize, man, this is a long line. Like I got number 98. Like number 90, I pulled the tab. I got number 98, I'm 98th in line. So let's just say they wait all day. At the end of the day, guess what happens? They go to the tent of meeting and you know what? They don't even get to meet with the Lord. They got to meet with this guy named Moses, of whom they don't trust, because they need an intermediary between the Lord and them. Now, on our side of Jesus, we have a completely different reality. Our sacrifice pales in comparison to the sacrifice that they would have had to meet, make in order to meet with God. It requires that you and I get out of bed 30 minutes earlier. It requires that you and I download a reading plan off of Google, which all you gotta do is go to Google, type in Bible reading plan, and 10,000 options will show up. And if you still have a printer, print. It means maybe, I don't know, maybe you, at the night before, Right, you go to that coffee maker, make the coffee, set a timer, because we have timers. And all of a sudden, when you roll out of bed, coffee's already made. Ha! Wow! Sacrifice. And then you get that warm cup of coffee, turn on that lamp, sit down, and go, Lord, what do you want to teach me today? Open up that Bible, read one chapter a day, highlight something that sticks out to you. The other day, I'm in Acts right now, and, and, and I just highlighted simply where it was in Acts chapter, I think it was in Acts chapter 2. I think it was Acts chapter 2. I can't remember. Don't judge me. Acts chapter 2. And it said, looking at Peter and all that was happening in that particular time, Peter boldly proclaims the gospel. It says that Peter was a common, uneducated man, but he was somebody who had been with the Lord. And I thought, oh, well, that's what I'm going to hang on to all day today. I want to be a man who is... When people look at me, they go, man, Logan's been with the Lord. Right? Just hi highlight it. 
allow that to be the thing that you hang your hat on all day long, right? Like that's the sacrifice that we're talking about, guys. We're not talking about having to go all the way outside of the camp, three hour journey, get there, wait in the line. You don't even have a line. Because chances are, you're the first one up and you're the first one into that chair, the first cup of coffee, open that Bible, sit down and spend time with the Lord. How awesome is that? And you have zero intermediary between you and the Lord. If you've placed your faith and trust in Christ, you've been given his spirit. And by the nature of that, the veil has been torn in your life so that there is no longer a separation between you and God, but you can go into his presence. You can boldly ask of him and he will hear you. That's a promise. That's not a, hey, this may happen. That's a promise. The God of the universe is is awaiting you every single morning and says, hey, make me the priority of your life. And yet, we're not going to do it. And we pick on Israel all the time. And yet all we've got to do, get up 30 minutes early. Here, here, I'm going to even give you a tip. Okay, here's a tip. We calendar everything that we prioritize, don't we? A-type people, where yet? You, you can raise your hand. I'm not, it's fine. Nobody's going to judge you. All right, look. So calendar it in, right? Everything in your life, you calendar your ball games, you calendar your dates, you calendar all the things in your life. When your tests are due, you calendar everything in your life. Or if you're not, you ought to be because, it, by the way, it'll really help you. Um, we calendar everything, right? So calendar it in. If you want to make him a priority in your life, then make him a priority. Make him the priority by calendaring him in, the, in your calendar. So here's what you can do, okay? Here's what you do. Open up that calendar and mark off the first 30 minutes of your day. This is a time with the Lord. Just put time with the Lord, right? You calendar every other meeting in your life. Calendar your meeting with him. Give him your first 30 minutes of your day. Now, here's what else I want you to do. Give him the first 30 minutes of your day, okay? Then once a month, I want you to spend one hour with him. This is a great place to start. 30 minutes a day, 30 minutes a day, one hour a month. Go for a walk. Like just get away from the noise. Go for a walk and just say, hey, Lord, I'm here. I just want to hear from you. I want to talk with you. I'm going to express all the stuff that's going on in my life. You know what? Here's the deal, guys. God doesn't care so much what you say. He just simply wants to hear you. Just like a little boy and his dad, right? There's never been a time where I don't want to just hear from my son. There's never been a time where I don't want him to crawl up into my lap and just talk to me. It doesn't matter what you say. It just matters that you talk to him. God, this is what's going on in my day. These are the wins. These are the lows. Lost football this weekend. I'm frustrated. Right? I got this big test coming up. God, here's what I'm excited about. Here's the things that I'm struggling with. You know, here's the things that are coming up. Here's the things that are behind me. And just talk to them like you would a friend. That's what I love that about uh, where it says that, that the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. We're just talking about being friends. How great is that? So 30 minutes a day, an hour a week, or an hour a month, and then here, here's, here's a crazy one, one day per year. Give the Lord one day a year. You know, go to Summers Mill Retreat Center. I'm not taking any money from that advertisement. Go to Summers Mill. Say, hey, I want a room for a day. I need eight hours with the Lord. 
and watch him show up in your life. Because I'm telling you, if you make him the priority in your life, he'll transform your life. He will transform your life. If you don't, if you don't, you're just missing out. I don't know what to tell you. You're just missing out. And there's been plenty of time in my life that I've missed out on that. And I'm, I'm going to plead with you, don't do it. Don't do it. I want us to be a church that's strong. Like, like I love the, the idea when, when Jesus says that the gates of Hades will not stand against my church. Like, I want to be that church, right? Like, I, I don't want to be the, like, the church that's, like, kind of wiltering away in the desert. Like, I want to be the strong church. But the reality is, is that we can't be a strong church unless you're a strong person. And you won't be a strong person until you prioritize the Lord in all of your life, until you make him the priority. I'm telling you, you'll never experience, you will never experience the power of God in your life until you do that. I'm telling you, it'll be awesome. It'll transform you. It'll transform our church. It'll transform the community. It'll transform uh, us to the ends of the earth. Wow, how cool would that be? I think it'd be pretty awesome. But it begins tomorrow morning, first 30. First 30, that's my challenge to you. First 30 this week. Give them the first 30, put it in your calendar, and, and I, I wanna hear some stories next week. All right, let me pray for us. God, we come to you today. We thank you for your grace. We come to you that, Lord, we know that we need you. God, even when we don't believe it, sometimes we have to sing it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again until my heart believes what I'm singing. Help us to know that we desperately need you. And Father, help us to be willing to sacrifice in order to meet that need. No matter how great or how small, Lord, help us to measure that sacrifice against the need. And Lord, I pray that we would make you the priority of our lives. God, I pray that as we grow our friendship with you, Father, you would transform us from the inside out, that you would transform our lives, that you would put all of the other stuff in place. God, I pray that you would radically transform us. God, I pray that we would be a strong church filled with individuals who are walking with you so that as a church we are walking with you in unity and boldness and trust and faith. God, I pray that we would be a church that every morning when we meet on a Sunday morning, the enemy goes, oh my gosh, they're coming back for more. Lord, let's push the enemy against the ropes by meeting with you and growing in relationship with you, growing in friendship with you. God, transform us, transform our church, transform our community to the ends of the earth. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray, amen.